please be seated. Thank you very much, Kanli, for reading that gospel for us so beautifully. Uh, this morning, I've titled the sermon, The Beauty of Obedience. The Beauty of Obedience. Um, for those of you who might have met with my grandson, I'm pleased to say my grandson is with us this morning here in church. He's come all the way from Hull uh, to worship with us this morning. He's only two years old. I think he's playing outside there. It's more fun out there than in here uh, for him. But you know what they're like when they come to grandma and granddad's house. So excited, don't want to go to bed, and he was up at 5.30 this morning. So I've been up since 5.30 this morning, so if I'm dozing off in my own sermon, I'm sure Tony will poke me to say, no, get away, Copeland. But, but I shall be fine by God's grace. His name is Oakley, and I hope that some of you will meet him after the service. We are delighted he is able to come and visit with us today. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord my God, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, don't we all love a good, good wedding? A time when we all dress up and we have good time eating, drinking, having fun together with the bride and groom, friends and family. And you know what? Jesus loves it too. After all the exchange of wedding vows, the yes, I will, Yes, I do. In our gospel passage this morning, Jesus is now at a wedding party in Cana where he turned water into wine. Well, if you follow the news just as I do on my television, on my phone, on the radio, you will notice that the story about wine and cheese in a very famous back garden during lockdown is in the news a lot. You must have heard about it. It's in the news a lot. And this morning, our set reading for the gospel invites us as well to talk about wine, but not the cheese. And I'm sure some people want to talk about the cheese, but that will be for another sermon. This one, we're talking about the wine. So why this story of wine right at the beginning of John's gospel? Warren Willsby is a man I read a lot about. He's a well-respected theologian and is an expository writer. He's of the view that John used the story of wine at the beginning of his gospel to point us to the miracle of salvation, to point us to the miracle of transformation, that Jesus has the power and the ability to change our lives to change our stories just like the way he changed water into wine. God can do it. He is all-powerful. But also, we believe that, that this story about wine in the beginning of this gospel, John, the eyewitness who was right at the party, gave us a reason why he wrote about it. 
In John chapter 20, verse 30 to verse 31, he said his gospel was written so that this audience will believe in Jesus Christ, as we've just read, as we've just heard from that reading from Canley. They will believe in Jesus and in his transforming power that can fix our lives and our situations. So for these two reasons, we see that water wasn't changed to wine to give us an excuse to abuse wine, but for us to believe in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Because now and again, when you go to the pub and you go to all these places, people confront you as a minister, well, tell me if you're talking about all this drinking and alcohol and wine, why did Jesus turn water into wine? This is the answer right here for his disciples, for you and me who are listening to this reading and to this story today, to believe in him. Years back, I heard a joke about a handful of people who were abusing wine and alcohol in a small church. So one day, the, one Sunday morning, the pastor decided to preach heavily against wine and against alcohol. He concluded his sermon by saying, if I had the power, I would pour out all the wine and all the alcohol in the river. I would throw them all away, white wine, brown wine, green wine, pink wine, red wine, whatever it is, I will throw them all in the river. And after that passionate sermon, his worship leader came up and pitched the song, We Shall All Gather at the River. In defiance <laughs> to the ministers preaching about it, we shall then gather at the river. I bring this point to emphasize that water wasn't changed to wine, to give us an excuse to abuse wine, but for us to believe in the transforming power of Jesus. Due to lockdown, I think the last time I was at a wedding gathering was three years ago. Everything went well. We all had enough to eat. We all had enough to drink. It was a proper Methodist party. It was very methodical. Everything went according to plan. However, in this wedding that Jesus attended in Canaan with his mother and his disciples, things did not go according to plan, especially for the bride and groom. Their big day was in serious danger, all because the wine ran out. In those days, there were no 24-hour superstars, Tesco, Asda, Morrison, to say, okay then, if the wine is running out, why can't someone just run down to Asda and get some more and get the party going? No, they didn't have that at all. So something needed to be done and needed to be done urgently. Otherwise, the entire ceremony would have been nullified or rendered void because the wine ran out. Depending on the theologian you listen to, the couple would have been sued for failing to sustain the hospitality for at least a week. Now that's what I call partying. Not one night, not two nights, seven nights. And we were told Jesus was there, right to the end almost. According to the story, when you listen, seven nights. And if you fail to do that, some theologians say couple would have been sued. 
Some theologians are of the view that for their marriage to be registered, the authorized person who was the master of ceremony in that case would have had to report back to the general registrar to say everything at the wedding has gone as prescribed. A bit like what we have here. For a wedding in the UK to be recognized and to be registered, there must be an authorized person present to make sure all the rules and all the protocols are followed. Here in this church, if you're to get married in here, Tony would have to be present, Gordon would have to be present, or I would have to be here. And the reason why not because we're just ministers, because we're authorized persons, which means at the end of that wedding, we're going to sign off and send the paperwork to the registrar to say, Everything has gone according to plan. And if we're not able to send that off, that marriage will not be registered. And so in this situation, in this culture, for the wine to run out, that was going to put the whole ceremony at risk of not being recognized or not being registered. That's how serious this matter was. Hence, Mary's intervention. She noticed that there was a problem, so she took action. She was a typical mom here in this story. She didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to do a miracle. You are my son. Can you do a miracle for me? No, Mary didn't do that. She only stated the problem. She said they ran out of wine. They have no more wine. You see, mothers, they've got a very subtle way to get their big boys and girls to do things. They don't always come and say, oh, go and do this, go and do that. They just state the problem. They will say, I think the grass in the garden needs cutting. And you know what? They know their big boy is going to take time out to come and cut it. They don't say, oh, can you go and get the shopping from the car? They just say, oh, there's a lot of shopping in that car. And then you know you got to do something. Mary stated the problem that was there. And look at Jesus. Jesus answered and said, Woman, what has that got to do with me? My hours not yet come. Wow. What a brilliant way. What a brilliant excuse to use when we don't want to respond to things immediately. Can you imagine? Reverend Tony Miles saying to me, Lansford, please, can you go do A, B, and C? And I turn around to Tony and say, Tony... My hour has not yet come. Do you think that will work? Do you think it will work? No, it won't work. However, here, what I see, I see a response of a typical son and mother banter going on here. Jesus and his mother had a good relationship and they understood each other. So it was a banter for them. However, some theologians, they have taken offense to that response that Mary gave, that Jesus gave. They took offense about it. But you know what? Mary, lovely Mary, she didn't take any offense Rather, she set the stage for a miracle. She turned around to the servant and said, whatever my son tells you to do, do it. Those words are also for us 21st 21st century servant of Jesus. Whatever he tells us to do, may we find the grace, may we find the strength to do it. 
The key here is obedience. You and I are accredited servants of Christ when we understand the mystery of doing what God tells us to do. When we understand that, and you know what? The truth is that at times God tells us to do things that don't always make sense to us. I am sure you've had times in your life when God has asked you to do something or prompted you to do something, but at the time didn't make much sense to you. But days and weeks later, you realize, oh, this was why God wanted me to pray. Oh, this was why God wanted me to call Han. This was why God wanted me to visit this person. This was why God wanted me to do this. You just have that epiphany moment when all of a sudden, it is all revealed why God was prompting you to do something. Then it all makes sense. Remember those people who were told to go around the walls of Jericho so that the walls of Jericho will fall down. A whole nation told to go and dance around the wall for walls to fall down. Doesn't that sound silly? Very, very silly to me. In Joshua chapter 6, if you want to break the walls of Jericho down, you better go look for a bulldozer. You better go look for hammer and bring it down but not to dance around it and march around it, but that's what God told them to do. And you know what? They've danced around it. They marched around it, no matter what you want to call it. And on the seventh day, they shouted hallelujah and praise God, and the walls of Jericho, what? Fell down. Because of obedience. Think of those disciples in John chapter 21, after Jesus has died, they thought, oh, it's all over now, and they decided to go fishing. Peter dragged some of them, let's go fishing. And they were there all night. They did all they could and didn't catch any. They were all disappointed. And early in the morning, they saw someone standing on the shores of the beach. And Jesus said to them, take your net and cast it to the right side of the boat. I can imagine argumentative Peter. He will be saying, who are you to tell us to put the net on that side? We've done this all night. We've put the net down that side more than 10 times. So there's no way we're going to do it again. But Jesus said, no, put it there. And you know what? They untied it all again. And they threw their net. And they caught so many fish that they struggled to pull it together. That is the beauty of obedience. But look at that other story as well in the book of Second Kings of a general from Syria who had leprosy. All the skin was bad. He needed healing, and he was referred to go see Elijah in Israel. He went to see the man of God. The man of God never came out of the manse. He stood in his manse, and he sent his servants to go and tell the general to go and wash in River Jordan. Imagine somebody giving you that as a prescription for your leprosy or for whatever skin disease you have. You would take offense. He took offense. He was furious. Why is this man of God telling me to go and wash? But his own lieutenant, his own servant said to him, if the man of God have told you to do something big, you would have done it. But he's asked you to do something small. Just do it. And that general went to the river Jordan. Imagine how silly that will look like. Everybody stood there, they're watching this general. Went down the first time, came up. Second time, nothing. Sixth time, nothing. And on the seventh, when he came up, 
His skin was as smooth as a baby. Never needed the moisturizing cream anymore. That's the beauty of obeying God. It might not make sense all the time, but when we trust him and obey him, we see beautiful results, beautiful results. But it's tough, but it's hard. All these results came through obedience. And here we see Mary asking the servants at the party, he said to them, do whatever he tells you. That same message is for all of us here today to do what Jesus, I'm not saying do what the government say all the time or do what Lance Ford is telling you to do or do what somebody up there is telling you to do at times you know it's not right. But if it is something from the Lord, you are sure this instruction is from the Lord, do it. Do it. Find the courage to do it. The result will be beautiful. Thankfully, the servant at this party took heed to Mary's words. Even when Jesus asked them to do something, they were not quite sure about it. It didn't make much sense to them. Jesus said, fill the jars, those empty jars, fill them with water right up to the brim. I can imagine those disciples trying to imagine things in their heads. What is he telling us? We don't need water here. What we need here is wine. Why is he asking us to go get water? We need wine, not water. But they filled the jars anyway. They filled them right up to the brim. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Perhaps Jesus is asking us to fill our own empty jars with his word. He's asking us to fill our own empty jars to the brim with love. We should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, right up to the brim. We should love the Lord our God with all of our mind, right up to the brim. Perhaps he's asking us this morning as well to fill our empty jars, to fill our empty heart with his his word, with his spirit, with the right attitude towards one another. And that way we set the stage for a miracle. We set the stage for a miracle in our own lives. And we know what happened when the jars were filled. Jesus turned water into wine, the much-needed item to save the party and to rescue the bride and groom from shame, from humiliation, from social and public disgrace. And may he take away our shame and our humiliation as we trust him and obey him in the same way. When the water Jesus has turned to wine was taken to the master of the ceremony, the authorized person. He ranked it as the best wine. That's the beauty of obedience. It makes all things work together for good for us. It brings out the best results for us. Full obedience to God always produces beautiful fruit. Just do it if it's the Lord asking you to do it. Not knowing where the wine has come from, this authorized person at the party said, you have thrown the best party because you have saved the best wine for last. But you know what? The obedient servants, they knew where the wine had come from. 
They knew that the wine has come from the place of obedience, from the place of doing whatever the Lord said they should do. That's where the wine has come from. This morning I submit to you that you know what? Some people may not know the source of your joy. Some people may not know the source of your blessing. The people may not know the reason why you smile and you are so cheerful and happy all the time. They think you've got all the things of this world, but you know very well that obeying God has got something to do with it. Somebody say hallelujah. By turning water into wine, Jesus demonstrated that he is the source of everlasting joy. You know the world's wine is poor quality. Very poor quality. Even the master of ceremony at this party indicated that. He said, you've left the best wine for last, which means all what we've been having is poor quality. The things of this world, the pleasures of this world, poor quality. And you know what? That wine will eventually run out. It will eventually run out. Later on in our service, we will share bread and wine in remembrance of Jesus Christ. In his last supper with his friends, wine was involved. It became the symbol of his blood. Representing the new covenant, the new life, the new hope we have in Christ Jesus. It is the best wine. It will not run out. It will be with you till eternity, giving you joy, giving you hope, giving you all that you need to carry on in this pilgrim that we are on. It will not run out. But you know what? At the wedding in Canaan, the wine ran out. Wine was needed. Jesus turned water into wine. It was the best wine. I ask you this morning, what has run out in your life? Or rather, what is running out in your life? Your joy, your peace, patience, the strength to forgive and to obey God's word. What is running out of your life? In this story, it was wine that was needed. What is needed in your life this morning? What is needed in your family? What is needed in your marriage? What is needed in our church? What is needed in your own personal situation? These are questions we must wrestle with if we are to get down to doing whatever he tells us to do. What is needed? For all these things, like Mary this morning, let us turn to Jesus. Let us turn to the cross. Let us ask him in prayer to help us. For if my people who are called by my name, the Bible says, shall humble themselves, if they will pray, I'm not just talking about that casual prayer. I'm not just talking about saying the grace. If they will pray, God says I will open heaven and I will pour down my blessings for them. Prayer is the key. Prayer is not just an ordinary key, but it is the master key that will unlock resources in heaven. Like the servants as well. Let us find the grace and the courage to do whatever he tells us to do as individuals and as a church. Because the beauty of obedience is that Jesus can change the ordinary things we have. That talent that you have got, that strength that you have got, that offering that you give, 
That money that you put, say, I'm sending this to go towards the church. That seed that you sow, it might seem like a small seed. I'm giving 1,000 pounds to this project in the church. I'm going to support the online ministry with 2,000 pounds. I'm going to do this. My brother, my sister, you are not showing off. You are sowing a seed that God is going to honor and God is going to bless your obedience. God will bless your obedience if my people who are called by my name, if they will pray, I will open heaven. God can change our seed, that seed that you will sow. And later on, people see your life flourishing. People see the blessings of God in your life. They begin to wonder. They begin to ask, where is this blessing coming from? Where is all of this coming from? Where? You've sown the seed. And God has honored that seed. As the bride and groom at the wedding in Cana would say, would have said in their wedding vows, yes, I will. I conclude this message this morning by asking you all as a church, brothers and sisters here at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, I ask you this morning, will you do whatever he tells you to do? And I hope you will also say, by God's grace, Yes, I will. Amen.